Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. I am yours. 
everyone. Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, to our online service. We are so glad that you're with us. Just watching some of the comments here, Linda Morash, so great to see you on this morning. Janine, Denise, Sam, Tracy. I like what uh, Cheryl had to say on here. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, Cheryl Weeb, good morning. Enjoy the sun and the sun today. The sunshine and the son of God. I like that. Good morning, Cheryl. Good morning to everyone joining us online. We are live this morning here at the facility of Faith Baptist Church to you in your living rooms, in your kitchen. If you're midweek watching this, making supper for your family, we're so glad that you're tuning in. We're going to try something new today. We would encourage you to stick around to the end of this live service because we're going to do a live question and answer session. Steve is going to be speaking this morning. If you have questions about what he's talking about from Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus, I would encourage you to send all of your questions to this email address, questions at sharethejourney.ca. That's questions at sharethejourney.ca. We're going to have that up as Steve is preaching this morning. Send us your questions, and at the end of this video, we're going to answer the top three or four questions. We're looking forward to that. Uh, this Sunday, we are live with you. We only have five people in the room. We're supporting the government, the state of emergency. We want to do all we can to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Um, you may have noticed last week we were not live. It was all pre-recorded. And I want to let you know that this morning, as you see the band on stage and any musical elements that we're going to have, it's all pre-recorded. So if you see six or seven people up on this stage, know that it was pre-recorded weeks ago before the state of emergency. We want to let you know that this morning. Please connect with us on all of our social media platforms. You can find all of them at our website, sharethejourney.ca. Sign up for our newsletter, subscribe to our podcast. We want to connect with you digitally every way that we possibly can. Can you believe it? Easter weekend is this coming weekend. That is just crazy. Uh, this Friday is Good Friday, and we are having a live online Good Friday service at 6 p.m. We're going to have music, message, we're going to have a testimony video that you are going to love, and we're going to enjoy communion together. Church family, we're going to be sending out an email on what you need to know about Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday morning is at 10.30, our live service broadcast. It's going to be a great celebration Sunday, and we are kicking off a new sermon series with the Gospel Project curriculum. We are going right through the Bible in three years, and this section of scripture we are calling a sermon series, we are calling The Skeptic in All of Us. All of us have doubts, we have questions, you know people who are skeptical about God, about faith. We're going to be asking some big questions about Jesus. The question we're going to answer on Easter Sunday is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? We're going to look at evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you know somebody who's skeptical about the faith, send them an invite to our online Easter Sunday service. That's this coming weekend. Good Friday at 6 p.m., Easter Sunday at 10.30 a.m. I want to encourage you, join us for our midweek Bible study on Facebook Live. We're teaching through the book of Ephesians. This week, we're in Ephesians 2. It's Wednesday night at 8 p.m. It's interactive, it's fun, it's laid back, 
It's not like a sermon, we're just chatting, we're sipping on tea, and we're talking about Ephesians chapter 2 this week. So I hope that you can join me, Facebook Live, Wednesday night at 8 p.m. This morning we have Steve Adams with us. He's going to be teaching from Matthew chapter 3, talking about the baptism of Jesus. Now we've been talking about baptism. We hope to have a baptism service this summer when we're all back together. We also hope to have a child dedication service. We already have family and children who are excited about that and lined up to participate. If you would like to join in with either baptism or child dedication, then you can reach out to us at info at sharethejourney.ca. We would love to hear from you. So I want to encourage you, grab your Bible, turn up the volume. I know that singing in your living room, singing in your kitchen, maybe by yourself with your spouse, with your kids, it can be a little bit awkward, but I want to encourage you. Today we are worshiping an audience of one. We're not singing for the people beside us. We're not doing a performance for anybody. We are singing and blessing and praising and lifting the name of our God. He's the only audience that matters. So I want to encourage you, when our band leads in worship, stand up. Sing, shout it out, let the neighbors hear you. We are so excited for this online service this morning. Would you join me in prayer as we kick things off? God, we just want to thank you so much for who you are this morning. God, thank you that you are here with us, wherever here may be. I think of people in their kitchen, in their living room. I think of the five of us here in this auditorium. We just thank you so much that you are with us. You go before us, behind us, beside us, all around us. If we've trusted Christ as our Savior, then the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We thank you that you are with us wherever we go. Thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Father, we pray for people in this season. We pray for our health care workers. We pray for our government. We pray for those who are delivering essential services that we rely on in these times. God, ultimately, we're thankful that you are in control of all of this, and we want to take this time in this service to set our focus on you, your might, your strength, your sovereignty. God, we want to lift your name on high now as we sing praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us as we sing. You are here, moving in our midst, I worship. Who you are, you 
touching every heart. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, healing every heart. I worship you. I worship.
You will never 
Thank you so much to our band, to our production team for pre-recording all of that music. Aren't you thankful to them? Why don't you just take a moment and type thank you in the comments if you're thankful for our production team, for our band, for all of those who are putting on this online live service. We are so thankful. We're going to move into our offering time right now. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And our offering is just a simple response to the one who's given everything for us. We are so thankful to God and to his many blessings in our life. We want to let you know that Easter weekend is this coming weekend, and typically we do a special offering for Easter and for Thanksgiving. And this year is no different. So our special Easter offering is being broken down this way. 45% of the offering will go to Mount Traber, to help to care for some of the facilities that are in need of maintenance and some major repairs. 45% will go to what we are calling a response fund. We want to be ready to respond to COVID-19 in whatever way God would have us to respond, to bless our community, to care for those around us. And that leaves 10% to go to benevolent. We want to love on our community. We want to care for those who are in need in this season. So 45 to Mount Traber, 45 to our response fund, and then 10% to Benevolent. That's next Sunday, Easter Sunday, for our special Easter offering. So I want you to consider this week what you will give to our special Easter offering to care for Mount Traber, to care for the ministry here in this community as we seek to respond to COVID-19 in whatever way God would have us respond. I want to thank you so much to those of you who continue to give faithfully in this time. And I want to thank those who have made the big jump to online giving. I know that technology doesn't come naturally to all of us. It does not come naturally to me. So thank you for making that jump to online giving. I'm not going to say a whole lot about all the different ways that you have to give, but I am going to direct you to share the journey to our website. You can give there, and there is an image that describes all the ways in which you can give. Kids, I want to let you know that after this short time in offering, there is a special video message from Pastor Alex just for you. So I want you to stay tuned for that. Right now, we are going to pray for the offering. We are going to give you a moment to respond in whatever way God would have you to give because he has so richly blessed us. Do you believe that? Let's pray together. God, I just want to thank you so much for the generosity of your people. God, we know that is just a small picture and a shadow of the generosity and the love, the compassion, the mercy and grace that you have lavishly poured upon us. Thank you so much that you you just have given it all for us. We think of the gift of your son. We think of the gift of eternal life. We think of the gift of the community that we get to enjoy here as Faith Baptist Church. We thank you for this beautiful country that we live in. We thank you for all of the little graces that we get to see every day. God, we pray for this offering now that you would use it for your glory, for your name, for the building up of your kingdom here in Colchester County, around Nova Scotia, in Canada, and the world. God, we thank you so much for what you are doing, what you continue to do. 
We thank you for the stories we hear of people having opportunities to share faith in their workplaces, opportunities to talk with their colleagues, with their neighbors, with their friends and family during these trying times. God, thank you for the hope of the gospel that we have to stand on today. We want to praise you for who you are. And as we give back just a very small portion of what you have so richly blessed us with, God, we pray that you would make it abundant. That when it reaches your hands, you would multiply it and feed multitudes, Father. We thank you so much for your blessings in our life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, Alex here, and I'm standing by the Great Village River, and this is where Faith Baptist has done many baptisms over the years, but none of them compare to the baptism of Jesus, and that's what we're going to be learning about this week. So we're going to be reintroduced to a guy by the name John, John the Baptist. We learned about him early on in the New Testament, and uh, he will be baptizing Jesus. So Jesus is, is taking what God has instructed us to do, and that is being baptized. And what is baptism, you ask? Well, baptism is putting death to the old life and bringing in the new life. And how cool is it right now is springtime. All these new things are happening, new life with plants and animals and all sorts of things are becoming new. And that's what baptism is. It's just being new again, new again in Christ. So guys, I have a challenge for you guys this week. I want you to go out and explore nature. Go out for a walk with your family and take a family picture or a family video and exploring nature. Maybe some new life, some new buds of, of the trees. You can take a picture with that, whatever it is. But I want you guys exploring new life. So I hope you guys have a great week and enjoy this week's video. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, good to see you, kind of. Uh, I have to tell you, I did get an interesting comment from Dave Pratt. You there this morning, Dave. Uh, he told me this week, he said... Uh, he said, uh, to ask Sharon to tell me that uh, they finally had made it to the front row. So I'm just envisioning you guys sitting there in the front row today, Dave and Sharon. Uh, uh, it's good to, good to be with you all this morning. And I have a question for you. Who do you believe Jesus to be? That question really uh, shapes our, our thoughts this morning as we uh, go to Matthew chapter 3. And as we uh, jump into the narrative there, we're not really jumping in because we've been working through this three-year journey through the Bible for over a year and a half now, and, and now we're into the New Testament. And, uh, but uh, will you pray with me right now and just ask God to bless his word to our, to our hearts this morning? Father in heaven, we are so grateful for all that you've allowed us to experience even in this day as we, as we uh, come together at this time in this way to worship you and to uh, give thanks for all that we have uh, in our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, this morning. And, and we just pray that as we um, take a, a, a really good look at this passage of Scripture, that you would teach us, that you would be our teacher, that you would speak to our hearts, that your Spirit 
would open our understanding and illuminate our minds and and just convict our hearts of the things that you would have us to to know and and to do and to be and uh, we just commit this time to you lord and we thank you for each one this morning who is taking this time to think about you and and our relationship with you and all that means uh, for our lives we pray these things in jesus name amen so the dual nature of Jesus, his deity and his humanity, is one of the most critical truths of the whole Bible. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ depends upon this two-sided two truth. And since we have arrived in the New Testament about a month ago on our, on our three-year journey, this has been front and center in the storyline. It's uh, of critical importance. Jesus was and is divine. He was and is deity. Jesus was God and is God. Uh, so church family, if you haven't been reading the other gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and John while we've been teaching uh, mostly uh, from Luke, uh, then you're kind of missing out because the four gospel accounts belong together in your study uh, because they are all written to portray the critical details of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Uh, so we've been in Luke uh, mostly, and today we are going to be in Matthew. And you can and should read John chapter 1, uh, where uh, you can note there that John clearly sets out that uh, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke portray about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And then the letters of the apostles that follow in the New Testament, they uh, confirm uh, that uh, as well. And so, yeah, you might as well go ahead and read, read there as well. Uh, reading and studying uh, scripture together is just is such an important thing for our lives. Um, for, so for now, uh, now, even now and forever, Jesus is the God-man. Uh, as God, Jesus possessed uh, full equality with God, uh, with God the Father, and this truth is absolutely critical to anything else we say or hear. Jesus was and is God, but he became and remains God in human flesh, God in human form. That is to say, in substance, he had and has a human body, a human heart, a human mind. Otherwise, how could he love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? So what Jesus actually said and did is contingent upon who he was and who he is. The identity of Jesus is the key issue of the gospel of Jesus. And Jesus consistently made it an issue. He would say to the Pharisees uh, later on, he would say, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Or unless you believe I am who I really am, you will die in your sins. And let's not forget what he said to the disciples too, that whole, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God, off the lips of Peter. Paul has this wonderful passage in Philippians chapter 2 about how our understanding and attitude should be shaped by the example of Jesus. Um, you, can, you can turn there if you want, uh, but this is all prefatory. Um, 
Paul writes there in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus as our great example, our human exemplifier. And the fact of his humanity creates that reality that Jesus can be our example. And he continues, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of, of men. Uh, so there, it's pr pretty clear there. He was God and he was with God. Reference John chapter 1, verse 1. And he became man. Paul goes on in the Philippians passage uh, to tell us how Jesus humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus' humanity allowed for his death. And then Paul talks about how because of all this, Jesus was then exalted by the Father. And it's fascinating that Paul uses the exaltation language there rather than the resurrection language, which puts him in good company because Jesus himself referred to his impending death and resurrection as his being exalted. Sometimes he uses, uses the words lifted up. He says, when the Son of Man will be lifted up, um, which of, of course is what exalted Mean. So there's a lot of theology in these, these words of Paul's here in Philippians, Philippians chapter uh, 2. He goes on to say, Therefore God hath highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, this is in Philippians chapter 2, and you might want to give that another read sometime while you're studying the gospel accounts while we are studying the gospel accounts uh, together uh, as well. But I want to take a step back uh, this morning. I want you to take a step back with me in this progression of the storyline of the New Testament. Because today, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is enthroned as the great King, Messiah, Christ, in heaven and on earth, having all authority, Matthew 28, having the keys of hell and death, Revelation chapter 1. Um, but prior to uh, Jesus coming into this world, he was exalted with the Father as well. And he, uh, he was with the Father and exalted in heaven, but he left the Father's side. He came from glory and when Jesus was born and grew and lived and taught on the earth, he was not exalted. He was humbled and he was humiliated. And we need to understand the import of the fact of Jesus' humanity because it is Jesus' humanity that enabled him to identify with us. Because human is what we, we are. And he became one of us. So this is a, a vital, one vital aspect of Christ's humanity. He identified with us. Also, his humanity enabled him to be uh, humiliated. That's another important aspect of Christ's humanity. Uh, Jesus' humanity subjected him to sufferings. And it is those sufferings of Jesus... Uh, in which he represented us. He suffered in our place. He took our judgment, even unto death, even death on the cross, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Do you believe that? That's a critical part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how he rescued us. That is how he became our 
rescuer. So the deity and the truth about the deity of Jesus has been on full display in recent weeks as we've read through, uh, starting through the New Testament, uh, his birth, the uh, dedication time, the messengers, whether they be angels or prophets, all proclaiming that he is the Lord of glory. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Right up through the uh, dedication, the parents, with his parents at the temple of the Passover celebration. Right up through. But also uh, on display throughout those passages is his humanity. Jesus' humiliation. Uh, the vulnerable womb. Uh, the birthing process, the birthing process, uh, the, in the manger, circumcision, submission to his parents. In all those ways, Jesus' humanity is on full display in all those passages we've been covering through this biblical narrative as well. Um, and as mentioned a moment ago, uh, not only is it Jesus' uh, humanity that enabled him to identify with us and to suffer for us, thereby saving us, but it's also Jesus' humanity that enables him to be an example for us to follow. And we are called to follow Jesus, right? How, how could we follow him if we don't recognize that Jesus was a human being, setting that example for us? In four weeks' time, we're going to be learning about those first disciples that Jesus called to follow him, but we're called to follow him too. And the reason we can is partly because of the humanity uh, of Christ. But there's another part of all this I've really been wanting to touch on because it's an important part of our biblical understanding of, of the, uh, the story uh, of Jesus and how it continues to unfold in the pages of our Bibles. Um, I mentioned uh, last week that Luke 2 provides us with the only inspired glimpse into Jesus' life as a boy. And while that is true, in the most obvious way, there is a key piece of information given about the first 30 years of Jesus' life uh, that comes to us um, in the gospel accounts as well. And we've been reading mostly in Luke and studying mostly in Luke and teaching out of Luke. We're on this three-year journey, and that's just the way the gospel project curriculum is, is set up. And uh, we're doing that with our kids, of course. Uh, and because of the way it's laid out, we've been in, in Luke, but uh, we haven't been in Matthew much. But I hope that you're reading Matthew too. I hope that you're, that you're reading there and studying there. And you may recall from the gospel according to Matthew that uh, uh, how uh, shortly after Jesus was born, Herod had ascertained from the wise men the timing of Jesus' birth, the time that they'd seen the, the star, and, uh, and, uh, and then he sent and had the boy babies in the Bethlehem area slaughtered. You remember that part of the story? It's uh, referred to as the sound of Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no longer. And so in that Matthew account, the young family is warned and they flee to Egypt. Do you remember that? And then they stay in Egypt until Herod, who is the first Herod, known as Herod the Great, uh, is, has died. And I want to pick up in Matthew chapter 2. And that's where we're going to start reading today. Matthew chapter 2. We're in Matthew chapter 3. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. It says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, 
Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who saw the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archaeus was uh, reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. What is the significance of these details? He will be called a Nazarene. It's not just the fulfillment of a prophecy, a wonderful fulfillment of a prophecy, but it's more uh, than that. God didn't just throw a dart at uh, the, the map of Palestine when he chose the place for the Messiah to be uh, to, to grow up and to live and to be identified with. Um, the Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when it says he was a Naz, called a Nazarene, that's not a Nazarite. Josh talked to us a, a while back about that, and so did Doug Campbell. Uh, there's two, two different things. Uh, but it says here, Jesus will be called a Nazarene. So you, you may recall when we were studying through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, what we call the post-exilic books, uh, we talked some about the exclusive attitude that had developed amongst the people of the exile who re returned um, and how the term exile had became a kind of a, a badge of honor for an elitist religious ethnic attitude that developed amongst the people. Now, stay with me here because this might seem a little bit involved, but it's actually really important and it's really not that difficult to understand. Um, you're familiar with the term Jew, and, and, but perhaps you may not be aware that the term Jew actually is a derivative of the term Judah. And so the, the first usage of the term Jew in the Bible is 2 Kings 25, 25. Uh, there's also one reference in Jeremiah, two in Daniel, one in the book of Zechariah. And then, as I mentioned, a whole bunch of references to Jews in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And uh, the term Jew um, is, and I tried to point this out when we were there going through that material, uh, when we were traveling through those post-exilic books, that time just after the exile, when the exiles returned, and they constituted largely the tribe of Judah. Uh, and this mindset developed that they were the true Jews, and everyone else was something far less. So in effect, you have the tribe of Judah, who was uh, Judah was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And yet, by the time we get to the days of Jesus, it seems that the tribe of Judah had pretty much willed themselves to be content to forget about the other tribes. What about God? Do you think God was content with that situation? To just let the other tribes go and let the other peoples go? Uh, what about Jesus? Was Jesus content with that situation? Um, obviously Not. And it would be nice to have the time to go and trace through the biblical storyline because we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and the story of Cain and Abel and look there and see how God feels about the importance of uh, how we relate to our brothers and how we feel about our brothers and travel all up through the best of Genesis to the story of Joseph and his brothers. Remember, Joseph became the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. They were the northern tribes. 
And I hope that you know enough about biblical geography to know that Galilee was the north. Galilee was associated with those northern tribes of Israel. I want to read um, a quote for you, for us, from uh, Alfred Edersheim in his book, a wonderful book that he wrote called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And he writes about the relationship between Galilee and Judea in the days of Jesus. It's a fairly long quote, but but uh, if you listen carefully, I, I think it's, it provides some wonderful insight into the th- first 30 years of Jesus' earthly life, how he would have been perceived by the Jews and how he would have, been, had, have identified with Galilee and with Nazareth. Uh, Eldersheim writes this, he says, greater contrast could scarcely be imagined than between the intricate scholastic studies of the Judeans and the active pursuits that engaged men in Galilee. It was a common saying, if a person wishes to be rich, let him go north. If he wants to be wise, let him come south and to Judea. Accordingly, Judea from a Judea flocked, from plowshares and workshops, whoever wished to become learned in the law. And then speaking of Galilee, he writes, the very neighborhood of the Gentile world, the contact with the great commercial centers close by, and the constant intercourse with foreigners who passed through Galilee along one of the world's great highways would render the narrow exclusiveness of the southerners impossible. Galilee was to Judaism the court of the Gentiles, the rabbinic schools of Judea, its innermost sanctuary. Then speaking of the rabbis of Judea, uh, Elder Shine writes this. He says, These were the embodiment of Jewish piety, the asceticism and possessors and expounders of the mysteries of his faith. When he says his there, he's talking about the one traveling from north to south, whether that's Jesus traveling from Nazareth down to the Passover or the many trips that pilgrims would make from north to south. The fountainhead of wisdom who were not only sure of heaven themselves, but knew its secrets and were its very aristocracy. Men who could tell him all about his own religion, practice its most minute injunctions, and could interpret every stroke and letter of the law. Nay, whose it actually was to loose and to bind, to pronounce an action lawful or unlawful, and to remit or retain sins by declaring a man lie to or free from expiatory sacrifices or else punishment in this world or the next world. And it kind of culminates his, his statement, uh, Aldersheim's statement kind of culminates in this remark as he continues. He says, no Hindu fanatic could more humbly bend before a Brahmin saint nor devout Romanist more venerate the members of a holy fraternity than the Jew, his great rabbis. This was the social context. This was the socio-political ethnic context of the life of Jesus. For the 
first 30 years of his life, Jesus lived in Galilee, in Nazareth. He was known as a Nazarene. He was a Galilean. And there's a lot that could be said about Jesus' early life growing up that really helps us uh, see where he fitted into the socio-religious fabric of his day and how that all relates to his message and how part of this is the relationship between the, the Jews, that is those who really felt they were the real Jews, and the Galileans whom Jesus was identified with. But think about this. This might help us appreciate a little bit of, of what, what we're talking about here. When Jesus chooses his disciples, the twelve. We know from Scripture that most of those disciples were Galileans. In fact, the only one of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose that we know for sure was Judean was, who do you think? If you said Judas Iscariot, you would be correct. So, now Jesus is 30 years old. And at this point in our Bible journey, uh, he has lived those 30 years as a Nazarene. Before we get back to Matthew chapter 3, uh, listen to what Luke says in Luke tw- chapter 3. He says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old and be- being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph. That's Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years old being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Now, this is not only a statement of how old Jesus was, which is obviously important, but it's also a statement that, that um, tells, gives us that piece of information that Jesus was the supposed son of Joseph. So it's talking about his reputation, his, his sense of identity, his perceived identity, who he was perceived and thought of to be. That's important. Uh, I started this morning by asking you the question, who do you think Jesus is? Who the people of Jesus' day perceived him to be was a critical issue. And it is a critical issue today in your life and mine. Who do you believe? Who do you understand Jesus to be? Who do you accept him to be? Who do you know him to be? These are not little details. They may appear like small details, but they're actually, when we start to study more in depth, we realize that these are monumental factors. It's like Jesus came almost like he came incognito. You know, sometimes at Christmas time we think about this. You know, Jesus came uh, the way that he came, you know, the whole manger, uh, uh, you know, poor poor family and whatnot. Um, but, but just think about it. Jesus spent almost the entire first 30 years of, his, years of his life in Galilee as a Galilean. And not only that, and this is quite significant, I think, that much of the th- last three years of Jesus' life, he spent in Galilee as well. His trips to uh, Jerusalem were uh, planned and they uh, were uh, carefully uh, planned by Jesus to, to make a point and to uh, rendezvous with the cross and at the end of his life. But uh, the identity of Jesus as a Galilean is an important part of this whole story. Now, we 
as near as we can tell, by the time Jesus was a, a man, he had established his reputation as a respected rabbi in his home synagogue in Nazareth. He would have become a, a, a technically a member of his home synagogue when he turned 13 years of age. And so for uh, roughly uh, 17 years, I think, uh, Jesus would have earned a reputation as a respected rabbi in his home synagogue in Nazareth in Galilee. But in Judah? Maybe that's why the uh, leaders in the temple, in our account last week, when Jesus was 12, probably his first trip to Jerusalem, Perhaps that's why they were so amazed. Not just because he was 12, but because he was a Nazarene. They had a saying, right? The Jews, Jews in Jesus' day had a saying. It was, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Think about the way these two cultures perceived each other. Think about the difference between how the Jews viewed John the Baptist as opposed to how they viewed Jesus, his Galilean cousin. And as we come into Matthew chapter 3, that should be on our minds. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 uh, through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So we note here that John himself is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. You can check out Isaiah or Malachi for those prophecies. So then verse 4 through verse 12. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And when then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for, for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. I would say that John the Baptist was a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, wouldn't you? If there ever was one. Now, a lot of people make the mistake here in this passage of thinking that the baptism of fire is something uh, that we should be seeking for in our lives. Those people, I believe, are confused uh, because the text is pretty clear. Uh, the chaff is not what we want to be. 
Jesus will baptize you, the one who's coming after me, John said, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's one or the other because if you are not uh, born again by the Spirit of God, then what awaits you is the baptism of fire. And it says it's unquenchable fire. So uh, it's important that we understand what John is talking about here. There is no contrast in the message of John between John and Jesus because Jesus will go on to say things like this. He says in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the message between John and the message of Jesus uh, is consistent. There is consistency there. They both preached and taught that Jesus was the Lord of glory and the one to whom we will all ultimately all give account, and they both called us to repentance. John's message was a message of repentance. Jesus' message was a message of repentance. What does that repentance look like? According to John, it includes, if you look in Luke chapter 3, includes a number of things. He talks there about he who has two coats should give uh, one to his brother who has no coat. Uh, sounds a lot like Jesus to me. There's a lot of uh, the, the consistency. There's full consistency between the message of John and the message of Jesus. So this repentance that he calls us to, what exactly uh, uh, is that repentance? Is it an action that we take or is it the fruit of repentance that John speaks of? I think that's an important distinction there. John says, uh, bring forth uh, fruit, fit, or meat for repentance. So repentance is something that's internal, but it expresses itself out into our lives. So we live our lives from the inside out, as it were. Uh, God does a work in us. And people often, and books have been written on the question, you know, about whether or not uh, we uh, change our heart attitude towards God or that God changes our hearts. How does this issue of repentance work with the idea that God, that salvation is, is completely of the Lord and we don't have a part in it? And I admit there is some mystery here. I think we need to allow that mystery to exist because the Bible presents it this way to us, that uh, we know that our hearts will not be changed unless God changes our hearts, but we also know that God calls us to put faith in him, and he calls us to respond, and he calls us to repent. To repent means to have a change of mind, a change of heart, and when we have a real change of mind and real change of heart, it will manifest itself in what John calls the fruit or fruits of repentance. It wasn't just John that uh, put it that way. Uh, uh, Paul, in talking to King Agrippa, he says, uh, I was not a bit disobedient to the heavenly vision, I bet, but he declared first to these in Damascus and then to, in Jerusalem and throughout all region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So I think that spells it out uh, fairly well. So the message of John the Baptist and the message of Jesus was consistent. There was a consistency there. However, there was an incredible contrast in the two men when it, come, when it came to the persona that they had and the perceptions of the people. Uh, John was uh, your classic Old Testament prophet type of guy. Uh, 
he was called in Scripture Elijah. And he was like Elijah, very much like Elijah, although one of the interesting differences between John and Elijah is that John performed no miracles at all, and that's fascinating. Uh, and yet Jesus said that there was no one greater than John the Baptist. Uh, but John was this kind of wild-eyed wilderness wonder, uh, dressed in camel's hair and, 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 and leather, and he had some antisocial kind of habits like his diet, and I doubt the man even owned a comb, if you know what I mean. Uh, and yet it says, look what it says here. It says, all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. Even many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were going out to be baptized by John in the Jordan. And uh, hopefully in the weeks ahead, we'll get to talk more about some of those groups, Pharisees and Sadducees and some of these different groups, because they're all interesting play interesting role in the, in the life of, of Jesus. But I, that there statement that John makes here about Jesus, he says, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Um, don't you just love that? That's a great description of how amazingly wonderful Jesus is. That's how John the Baptist, in all of his greatness as a prophet and his success as a, as a, as a prophet uh, looked at Jesus and proclaimed Jesus. He said, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Is that how you feel about Jesus? Is that how you see Jesus? If, if he's amazing to you, then that's God growing faith in your heart, faith in Jesus Christ through the scriptures. Verses 13 to 15 in Matthew chapter 3 tell us about the baptism of Jesus. Now, just before we read that, that uh, those uh, six verses or whatever they are, what are they, one, two, three? No, they're not that, three verses. Um, back in the first verse, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it starts, uh, Matthew starts by saying, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now in verse 13, look at what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. The crowds did not, represent, did not recognize Jesus for who he really was, but John did. They saw him as a Galilean. They saw him as uh, a Nazarene. But John took one look at Jesus and he said, you should be baptizing me. I am not even worthy to carry your sandals. But Jesus says, verse 15, uh, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, then John, consented to Jesus' request and baptized him. I've read dozens, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, I've read dozens of uh, different uh, 
suggestions as to exactly what Jesus meant when he said, uh, you know, this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. None of the explanations that I've read uh, seem to really uh, provide any kind of a certain understanding as to what exactly Jesus meant by those words. I think the best uh, indication we have is that this has to do with identification because this whole passage has to do with identification because the identity of Jesus and his willingness to identify with us is foundational to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here in this passage, we have uh, Jesus identifying with John. We have uh, the Jesus identifying the new covenant with the old covenant. We have uh, Christ identifying with us by being baptized, even though he didn't need to repent because he had nothing to repent of because he was sinless. And we also, in this passage, see in what follows, we see God the Father and God the Holy Spirit identifying with God the Son. And that's what happens next in the passage as we read verse 16. And what happens next can only be understood as we understand who the Father and the Spirit identify Jesus to be. This is an identity issue. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The chief reason we understand the one God of the Bible to be a triune God, one God existing in three persons, is because of the deity of Jesus. All three persons of the Trinity are in view here in this passage, either visually or audibly, making it one of the great Trinitarian texts of the Bible. Correct biblical theology is Trinitarian theology. And it's predicated on the recognition of Jesus' true identity as the divine Son of God, God in human flesh and blood. Jesus had this whole persona of being everything that the religious community was not looking for. They, what they were not looking for in their Messiah, their King, including who they thought he was based on uh, where they thought he came from, based on all of their religious biases and misunderstandings. I hope we can appreciate the significance of the fact that Jesus came perceived as an outsider. Think about that for a moment. Someone has pointed out how ironic it is that the perfect sinless son of God came to this planet and that the chief complaint about him was that he was not religious enough. Jesus identified with the outsider. Here's what John says in John chapter 1. He says, Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. And then John continues, 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. What do you understand and believe about his true identity? It will ultimately determine your identity. The text for today says, And behold, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Verse 17. Whether we recognize it, this statement is a divine confirmation of Jesus' uh, divine identity, but it's also a divine affirmation of his human life. Because it denotes not only his eternal perfections as the eternal Son of God, but also as he lived as a human being 30 years growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. The identity of Jesus, both his divine identity as the eternal son of God and his human identity as Jesus of Nazareth are critical aspects of the biblical narrative and they are essential components of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who you know Jesus to be will determine both who you are and where you spend eternity. Who do you know and believe Jesus to be? It's the most important question you could be asking yourself right now today. And I would like to lead in prayer at this time and invite you to pray with me. Will you do that? Lord in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that reveals your son, our savior, our rescuer to us. Thank you, Lord, that you come to us on the pages of Scripture and in the biblical narrative storyline as we read about your coming and about your birth and your dedication and your growing years leading up to this day of, uh, as you were a young man baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And hearing those words from the Father and seeing the Spirit of God descend upon you, declaring, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Thank you, Lord, that you reveal your Son, our Savior, to us in these pages of Scripture. Lord, I pray that right now you would create great faith in people's hearts as they think about these things, that, they, that we would be amazed, that we would be amazed by the God-man, the one who has been forever God, but now is exalted at the right hand of the Father forever as God in the flesh, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save us, to identify with us, to take our place, to become one of us, and to bear our sin on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be rescued from the, the, uh, the wrath that is to come for all, on, upon all those who do not have a personal relationship with the only Savior of mankind. Lord, create faith in us today and help us to look to you as Savior 
and is our great example as we follow you in these days. Lord, I thank you for every person who's even now placing their faith and trust in you as Savior and Lord of their lives. I thank you for them and I ask you to bless them, keep them, use them as they walk before you in your grace and in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve, for that message. Did you folks appreciate that message at home? I hope you did. And we know it's not easy. Uh, maybe you have kids at home. Last Sunday, we watched, live, we watched uh, the online service at home, and our kids were running around, and we were trying to focus on the message. So Elsie was with one child, and then I would go get the other and back and forth. So all that to say, <laughs> we know it's not easy. Thank you so much for tuning in online for this live stream. And now we're going to try something totally new. We haven't done this before. A live Q&A. Uh, thank you for those who sent in questions. I received some questions this morning. So Questions are good. We're going to keep our uh, two-meter distance here, as you can see. And I've got some questions for you, Steve. All right? Uh, question number one was sent to me this morning about the Trinity. We all have questions about the Trinity, the fact that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but he's one God at the same time. So how would you explain the Trinity to someone listening at home? I do not believe we can explain the Trinity. I, I know people have attempted, they've used uh, you know, uh, things like uh, the shell, an egg has a shell and a yolk and a, and a white, and, or yes. uh, wa you have water vapor or water liquid or, or ice. These things might be in instructive about something, but they're certainly not instructive when it comes to the Trinity because I believe that, that we're not capable of really understanding the Trinity. The Trinity. The Bible doesn't explain the Trinity, but the Bible does present Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. And every reference to the Holy Spirit in Scripture uses the personal pronoun he, never it. It, it always uses he. And so I, I, I believe that the Trinity uh, is not something we're meant to understand, I believe, or explain. I think it's something that's presented in Scripture, and we just need to accept it by faith. Amen. You ready for another question? Yes, I'm ready. All Bring right. them on. This question came in this morning. Did Jesus actually claim to be God? Did he ever come right out and say so? Or is that something that we've just decided as history has passed by that Jesus must have been truly God? Did he claim to be God? Yeah, I'll, but sometimes people point that out and say, well, if Jesus really was God, why didn't he just come out and say, hey, guys, I'm God? And uh, which he, he didn't do that. But, but, you, but you have to admit, if when you study it, he, he came pretty, pretty close to doing exactly that on a number of occasions. I think of where he um, is talking to, the, uh, to the, some of the religious leaders and he says, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. And the, our translations, modern English translations, uh, inject the word he there, unless you believe I am he. But I, my understanding is in the Greek, that pronoun is not there. It simply said, Jesus simply says, uh, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. Now you could say that he is inferred there, or you could, we could recognize it, which I believe it is, as a reference to God's revealing himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 as the great I am. And if you will recall in Exodus chapter 3, uh, you know, God says to Moses there, Moses says, you know, who, who shall I say sent me when I appear to the Israelites? And God says, tell them 
I am has sent you because I am the, the great I am. And so when Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and he says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And that's not the only time he said that either. Um, you know, he said, uh, before Abraham was, I am. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe those are very direct uh, claims to deity. The Jews certainly believed they were direct claims to deity because that's why they picked up stones to stone them. It says in the text there uh, they, that we're doing this because you, being a man, have made yourself out to be God. So I think Jesus yeah. did make that claim. Right. Yeah. You have time for one more question? You have time at home? We'll do one more question and then we'll end our live service for the day. How important is baptism and why is it important? Obviously, in this passage, baptism is front and center. And as I mentioned, Jesus didn't, had no need of repentance. Um, Paul, um, John's baptism is, you know, it says there it's connected with repentance. But the key and central uh, idea of baptism seems to be more about identity. That when uh, Jesus was baptized by John, he was identifying with John's message and identifying with, um, with, with us. Uh, as he would lay down his life to save us. And, and then, of course, you have God the Father and the Spirit identifying with Jesus in that passage. And so I think the key central issue with baptism is identity. And so for us, when we respond to the call to be baptized, and make no mistake, Jesus said in Matthew 28, uh, go into all the world and baptize, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is a command, but I believe it's a command to identify with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we baptize people today, um, we are giving them an opportunity to publicly identify with Jesus and his church. Mm -hmm. So when people are baptized, they're making a public statement I belong to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. I am his follower. I am his child. That's who I am. That's who he is. That's, this is who I am. And I want the world to know it. And that's why I believe that's why God has given us the um, ordinance of baptism. Yes. And, it's, and I believe that's why it's so important. Yeah. yeah. I would have to echo that. And I want to um, land the plane there. We've talked a lot about baptism this morning. If you're considering baptism, if you know somebody who is considering baptism, we want to start that conversation with you today. We hope to have a baptism service mm -hmm. this summer when things get back to a new normal. Um, so we are looking forward to that. Would you just let us know? Reach out to us, info at sharethejourney.ca. Thank you so much for joining us for our live service this morning. It is so great to celebrate all that God has done together across all the digital airwaves. Yep. We're so glad yep. that we get to do this. Thank you to our production team, our band, Steve, for bringing the word this morning. We want to remind you, Easter weekend mm -hmm. is this coming weekend. It's one of the most exciting weekends of the year here at Faith Baptist Church with our church family. Our Good Friday service is Friday at 6 p.m. online, and our Easter Sunday service is 10.30 Sunday morning online. We really hope you can join us. We've got some creative elements, some good video content we want to send your way. We are really excited for it. But would you take a moment now as we end our service, not only to join me in prayer, but I was thinking it would be really neat if you could reach out to somebody else who is watching live and start a conversation about the service. 
Typically here on a Sunday morning, we would end the service, we would chat with one another, we would enjoy lunch in the cafe, we would mix and mingle in our lobby. Why don't you reach out to somebody whose name you saw on this live broadcast and just talk about it with them. Connect with somebody, hear their voice. I think it'd be good for you, it'd be good for us as a church. So I want to encourage you in that way. Would you join with me as we end in prayer? We'll send you off. God, we just want to thank you so much for who you are, for all that you've done for us. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who lived those 30 years in obscurity. We thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you for uh, this point in time that we've read about this morning where Jesus began his earthly ministry. We know that he came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again out of the grave on the third day. That's what we're going to celebrate this Easter weekend. We want to praise you so much for the good news of Jesus, the fact that we can have forgiveness, we can have new life, we can have a relationship with you for all eternity, sealed by the Spirit, a home in heaven. God, we thank you so much for how you've blessed us. God, we pray for your people now. We pray for those who are struggling in this time. We pray for those who are in front lines. We pray for the grocery store worker. We pray for the nurse. Yes. We pray for the truck driver. Yes. God, we think about people whose yeah. hearts are heavy in this season. God, we pray for your strength. We pray for your encouragement. We pray for your blessing over their lives, Father. Yes. God, we thank you that yes, you Lord. go before us. You are a shield yes. and a butler. You are a strong fortress that we can run into in times of trouble. Thank you that you are the rock on which we stand. God, we just want to praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hope you have a great week. We will see you on all of our social media platforms.